what I learned to do as a little kid, I, I believed that there was no one there to help me, but I constantly felt like I had this like moniker on my head that said, come hurt me. No matter where we are in our walks of life, we all struggle with purpose and identity. Join us on the search for something better, real hope, peace, and meaning. Welcome to the Something Better podcast with your hosts, Michelle and April. All right. Well, welcome back, everyone, to the Something Better podcast. I am here with our guest, Mary DeMuth who is a speaker, author, she does a range of things, and I'm going to let her introduce herself a little more. Um, She lives in Texas, uh, where our office is located, our headquarters, and um, Mary, we're so glad that you're here today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. It's great to be here, and yeah, I I write books. I'm a literary agent. I uh, am an artist, and um, I speak around the country and the world, and I also have three adult children and a husband and a frustrating dog and a sweet cat. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Well, we are so glad that you're here. I know that you have a very powerful story. Um, And so let's just kind of dive into it and um, our listeners can uh, enjoy and be encouraged as we go. So could you take us back a little bit and share a little bit of your childhood growing up and just give us some background and insight into your life? Sure. So I grew up in a home that later I would not want to duplicate. Um, there was just a lot of unsettledness and neglect. Uh, my father and mother were married, but then they were soon divorced. And in that kind of time between that divorce and five years old, I don't have a lot of memory of where I was. The The consensus was that I was being kind of taken from drug house to drug house. So there was really no sense of home. There was a period of, a t- of about nine months, I think, where I did live with my grandparents and I had some positive memories during that time. Um, but then at five, I moved to another location. My mom remarried another person And uh, during that year, a lot of really bad things happened. So they would have these crazy parties that were very unsafe and full of drugs. And they also um, were a part of the trade of uh, drugs. And um, so it just was very unsafe as an only child. I just would remember like hiding between my mattress and the wall because my bedroom was the only way for people to get into the bathroom. So they had to pass through my bedroom to get into the bathroom, which made for some very unsafe things. Um, Also during that time I was in kindergarten and I uh, was visited by, I, I went to my babysitter after kindergarten as a half day. And these two neighborhood boys knocked on the neighbor's door and asked if I could come out and play. And she hated babysitting. So to get me off her hands was a big deal. So she let me go, which of course was terrible. And they, uh, of course they sexually assaulted me that first time there was no grooming, nothing. And then they continued to do that for that school year. They told me things like they would kill my parents if I told, 
And it took me a really long time to finally talk about it. And I, I must have known that my mom and my stepdad and my, my biological father were unsafe people to tell because I randomly, well, not randomly, but I chose to tell my babysitter. And I remember her response. I, it was probably like seven or eight months into my school year. So it was, I had been sexually assaulted for all, those, all that time. They would start inviting their friends, which is what caused me to tell her. And she said, I will tell your mom. And I thought, great, it's over. I'm, I'm done. And the next day, the boys knocked on the door again. I thought my mom knew. She, of course, never told her, but I didn't know that. I thought adults told the truth. Uh, they knocked on the door again, and she shooed me out into the air, into the Northwest air. I was from the Pacific Northwest, and they continued to assault. And so what I learned to do as a little kid, I, I believed that there was no one there to help me. And so I learned how to sleep. So I slept. I would get home from half-day kindergarten. I would cram down my peanut butter and jelly sandwich, run into the babysitter's bedroom, pretend to sleep for four or five hours, and would not be roused. And... So then at the end of that school year, we moved away, which was amazing. Um, and I was no longer bothered by those boys because we were probably 30 miles away from where they were. But I constantly felt like I had this like moniker on my head that said, come hurt me. I was constantly running away from other predatory people. Uh, my mom remarried again. And uh, in when I was 10 years old, I um, got the message that my biological father had passed away. And then in the seventh and eighth grade, my third father, my stepfather, um, said that he was going to divorce my mom because of infidelity. And so you can imagine the, the storm that was happening in seventh and eighth grade, which is a terrible storm for everybody. But to have all those other things on top, death of a parent who was really the only one for you, and then um, all of that. So that was a very, that was probably my darkest point as a little girl. I was ready to take my life and I was writing suicide poetry. Wow. And uh, thank you for sharing. First of all, I think for, you know, it's hard to imagine um, just how much trauma you endured. So like, I mean, do you even remember what you were thinking or besides crying out for help and just you know, being scared? Is, is there any recollection of other thoughts or emotions and what was going through your mind? One of the gifts I think God gave me, and I didn't know the Lord at this time, but I knew that what those boys were doing was wrong. And that was a huge gift to me. I didn't feel like sh ashamed because I knew that I, they were the ones that did the bad thing. Um, and then I remembered every detail of, sadly, <laughs> of those attacks. And so when I went back to that place a couple of years ago, the first time I'd ever returned, everything that I remembered was in ex its exact place. I knew exactly where their house was. I knew exactly where the babysitter was. I knew where the elementary school was. I knew where the horrible park was, where they often assaulted me. All of it came back and I had, I had been walking around the streets of it saying, that's where that is, that's where that is. So, you know, a lot of times trauma will erase your memory. In my case, it didn't. I was, I was very um, cognizant of what went on and I have a very sharp memory of all the things that happened. So how do you begin to, I don't know the right word, but, you know, escape this situation when really this is 
your family. This is how you've grown up. And you didn't really have much control over these situations as a child. Yes. So I really didn't have a lot of volition. I was an only child without a driver's license. And um, I was, you know, basically held hostage by the choices of my parents. And when my stepfather left um, from the last divorce, he had also been very much for me. So I was losing another hero, losing another father. So that's when I spiraled. I had a counselor in my eighth grade year who um, was very sweet and he just listened to me. I think he knew I was really on the edge and he was, he just, he was my lifeline. And then in ninth grade, I had a friend who invited me to Young Life, which is a, um, it's a group uh, that is kind of like a youth group, but it's for kids to just random kids that go to high school. So I went to that. And I remember hearing about Jesus literally for the first time. Like I literally did not know anything about Jesus. I did not know that Jesus had anything to do with Easter or Christmas. I only knew him as a swear word. I knew nothing. And so when I heard about him the first time, my heart just leapt in my chest and I just felt like, okay, this is, this is what I've been searching for my whole life. I spent that year um, listening to those little 15-minute messages at the end of a Young Life meeting, and I remember the last one I heard before summer break was about Jesus calming the seas and the disciples asking the question, who is this that the wind and seas obey him? And so that question just stayed in my mind at the end of my freshman year, and as a sophomore, I went to my first conference or my first um, camp and it was like a weekend camp. And they shared the whole gospel from Jesus dying on the cross for my sins to the fact that I was a sinner to the fact that he resurrected. And I remember going outside. It was nighttime when I had heard the whole presentation of who Jesus was. And one of the things that I I didn't mention earlier in my story is that often the boys would take me to the woods um, in the Northwest and a lot of the violation would happen under a very large tree, a whole stand of them, a whole bunch of evergreens. And so when I heard the gospel for that first time, I went outside, it was dark. I was under that tree. I found this big old hemlock tree, which is a symbol of death. And um, thinking about Jesus hanging on a tree. And I just, I, I came to him, not with this like, oh, I'm such a sinner and I need a savior. It was more like, I came to him because I needed a dad who wouldn't leave because that had represented my life. I just had no parent who really loved and take, took care of me and noticed me. And I'd lost so many fathers that that was the beginning of my uh, connection to the Lord. And it's interesting that my greatest violation was under a bunch of trees. My greatest salvation was also under a bunch of trees. And so that was the moment that I met Jesus Christ and Um, that was when I was 15 years old and I've been on a healing journey from all this trauma ever since. Yeah, I can imagine. So who did a friend invite you to Young Life? Yeah. So my friend Luann invited me to Young Life and I'm so, so grateful that she did. Yeah. I was wondering, sometimes God places people in our path and um, that's awesome that she extended the invite. Well, Yeah, we'd love to hear more about the healing part of the journey. I know that there's listeners listening who've currently dealt with abuse and all kinds of things, um, and they may still be in the midst of it, and they don't see a way out, or and they don't know 
Jesus, or maybe they, they are just curious and they're listening and, and have some questions. Um, could you help us understand and just walk us through what that healing looks like, practically speaking? For me, it looked like a lot of crying and a lot of um, disclosure. Uh, when I first became a Christian, I started telling my story immediately. I probably overshared too much. I was so desperate for healing that I wanted to tell everybody and I wanted them to help me because I didn't know how to deal with the story that I was carrying inside. I've often told audiences that an untold story never heals. And so I was demonstrating that, that I needed to tell that story. And it wasn't until I got to college that I was landed into a safe community of people who really truly began to hear me and pray for me and um, ask me questions and help me unpack that story. And so the lion's share of that healing came during college. But then from that point on, um, there's always been something. <laughs> I wish I could say, oh, I'm perfectly healed now. But it's really involved a lot of counseling, a lot of prayer, a lot of conversations, um, a lot of asking why, uh, you know, being angry at God sometimes, why did this happen? Where were you when this happened? Those honest questions, um, talking with uh, good counselors, uh, sometimes getting EMDR therapy, which is for those who have walked through trauma. So there's just been a lot to that um, journey. So how, um, so the night that you accept Jesus or after listening to that last message, uh, we know what you shared resonated with you. But then what did it look like? Because you had shared, you really didn't know anything about God or Jesus. You know, you hadn't been to church before. This was all totally new. So what were the next steps you took to really begin this relationship? And did you know what to do? Did you have mentors? <laughs> what did that look like? I didn't know anything. Um, but thankfully, Young Life had a, a secondary part of their, uh, of what they did called campaigners, which is like a Bible study. So I had a campaigner leader who kind of showed me what to do. I bought myself a Bible. Um, I remember it being the living translation, so it was a little easier to understand. And uh, my Bible study leader said I needed to go to church. And I had, I mean, I literally, I didn't know anything. So I just started looking them up in the yellow pages. This is in the olden days. And so I just visited a church and I thought, well, this must be what church is. And so I joined that church. I uh, was, a, was an am a singer. And so I sang at the church a few times and um, started to make friends there. And then we moved right after. So that after that year of high school, we moved to an entirely different part of the state. And so the first thing I did when I moved as a junior to a new high school was to find a Young Life group and that really did help. And then I found a church. Um, but these were all things I had to do on my own. I had to drive myself to church. No one was going to come with me. And um, in fact, when I met Christ and I came home for the first time to tell my mom about him, because I didn't want her to go to hell <laughs> in my mind, you know, um, she was mad. She thought I would join a cult. And uh, that uh, persecution has continued throughout my life. And so even though I was not supported at home in this new relationship with God. Um, my churches that I joined became that family for me. Yeah, I can imagine. It seems like this would be very overwhelming 
was it that way or was it just so exciting and you were joyful because like you said, you're beginning to find this new family and you have a new hope now um, or were there other emotions involved? I was super joyful because I had finally figured out the answer and my heart was full for the first time and I felt loved for the first time and wanted. Um, but that conflict with my mom was very hard to have you know, kind of the one person in your life as a parent who does not believe what you're saying and pushes back against it and persecutes you for it was difficult. And I could, I could see how the tendency would have been for me to run away and say, well, this must not be real. I don't know. I can only attest that the, that God was very good and he kept me around some good people who helped me. Yeah, that's crucial. I can just imagine people listening and not, you know, it can be kind of intimidating to go to a new church by yourself mm -hmm. or just walk in and have questions. And so just curious how, <laughs> but it sounds like you're very excited and like you said, joyful. Um, so then I'd love to hear how I know your, your story and everything you've been through has kind of become your purpose. Um, and what you do today, you know, you share it on a regular basis. Can you share a little bit about how that story has become that for you? Right. So um, in my position as a literary agent, I often will get ma get manuscripts of people kind of processing their pain, um, but it's too fresh. They'll say, well, I wrote a book about divorce and the divorce was finalized last week. And, and I'll say as an agent, you can't write that story. You're too close to it. And so I had a lot of time between, um, between talking about this story and uh, healing. So I mentioned college is so much healing. And then as a sexual abuse survivor, when my uh, eldest daughter turned five, the same age I was when all that happened, there was a whole nother level of healing that had to happen and more counseling, more tears, more stress. And so I really spent a couple decades working on my healing story. And it wasn't until I was in my late thirties, early forties, where I really began to not be afraid to tell that story because I certainly was afraid to tell it um, because I, you know, you're not supposed to tell those stories and no one likes to hear them and your family of origin will get sad with you and angry at you. And, and then when I started writing the stories, that was even harder because now it would be in print and there was a lot of, of stress that came my way in sharing those stories. But I felt like God said to me during that time of stress that he said, um, if no one, if everyone waits for their parents to die, to write about what God has taught them, then there'll be no mentors for the next generation. And so I felt like, all right, I'll take one for the team and I will start talking about this. And uh, it's been a joy to be able to do so. But I had significant healing before I did that. And I would never advise someone who has a new wound to go out and try to minister to people when you just need to be healed yourself. Yeah, I can imagine just the vulnerability of it and, uh, and then retelling it constantly. Does that bring mm -hmm. up uh, memories or emotions for you? No longer. Um, and that, I think that's one way that you can tell if you've really had a significant healing experience is if you can tell it as if it's somebody else's story, not in a, oh, it's not my story and I'm actively, you know, moving myself away from it, but just like, I can tell this story, I can tell it well, and I don't cry. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, that's just a testament in itself that how much you really overcome if you 
I mean, as an outsider looking in, if, if you look at the whole timeline. So if other people, like we talked about earlier, are kind of experiencing any of these issues or challenges, do you have any practical steps um, for not only maybe learning more about God, but also uh, the emotional healing side of things? Yeah, I would definitely say um, find a safe person. If you have a difficult story that you've never let out, it's going to fester inside of you and it will come out in behavior that you've never wanted to do. Um, your, your story comes out. And so in order to get healed, it has to be let out into the light. One of the things I worry about with the Me Too movement, um, while I'm grateful for it, what has happened is people will easily place a hashtag me too, and suddenly tell their story publicly and it may not be received well, or there may not be significant good relationships in their life who can carry that story for them. And so you can open yourself up for more criticism when you're not ready for it. I would instead, instead of being like super public about it initially, find someone who's safe and then share it in that circle of safety before you begin to, you know, start venturing out. And, you know, just to give some hope, I, when I first told my story, so here in my mind at, at 15, I meet Jesus. In my mind, my mom knew about the abuse and didn't do anything to stop it. I didn't realize that adults did lied. <laughs> so, um, so when I told my mom about the abuse at 15, cause that's, it took me 10 years to be able to say it. And I had to meet Jesus first to be able to do it. She did not believe me. And I had to retell the story so many different times and almost like grab her and say, you have to believe me, this did happen. Um, and so I'm an example of telling the story the first time and not being believed. And yet I can still say I'm standing today, not because of anything great about me, but because Jesus sustained me. So you may experience a time where you share with someone and they'll either argue with you or push back or not believe you. And that's a good indication that they are not a safe person to share and you need to find somebody else. Well, that's a great tip. Um, yeah, I think that, like you said, that's a very important step as we want to feel comfortable and safe. Um, yeah, and take it kind of step by step. Well, again, I think there's so much to take away from your story, so much courage, so much um, encouragement, um, and just how you have found a true hope. Is there a specific verse or passage that really um, encourages you or is meaningful um, to your life in some way that you could share with us? Yes, it's kind of a weird one, but it's out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses uh, 26 through 29. And it says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you are wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things considered foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. And that's how I have felt. Like he chose the foolish, the overlooked, the broken one to shame the wise for his glory and, and for his story. And it's about him. But I, I kind of picture it like God looking down from heaven and seeing this poor little ragamuffin mess of a girl who's getting violated all the time and him just saying, I'm going to take, I'm going to choose that one 
and she's going to tell her story before the whole world. And, and again, not for my, you know, being awesome. It's really about God's awesomeness, but he, that's what he does. When you have a broken heart or a broken story, he intersects that and he does great things with it. Yeah, that's a great encouragement. I mean, for anyone listening, just to know if you have questions about Jesus or you're not really sure who he is, um, he is a redeemer. And so just like Mary shared, he can take your mess and really turn it into your message. Um, it can, even though there's still pain along the way and there may be work that needs to be done, there is hope and he can still use you and wants to use you He and he wants to use everyone. So I love that. That's very encouraging. Um, also, if, if anyone listening does have questions, we would love for you to go to our Facebook page um, and just click to send a message. Um, you can ask any question. And we do have over 3,000 volunteers that are online. They're waiting and they are happy to dialogue with you and just answer any questions that you have, share um, some online resources with you. Um, you can also go to our podcast um, web page and our episode page to learn more about Mary and where we can find her. Um, and so lastly, Mary, can you tell us, and we'll add this to the show notes, um, where can our listener, listeners find you online if they would like to follow along or learn more about your story and, and other things you do? Sure. So they can find everything at marydemuth.com. Uh, I have a podcast called Pray Every Day, where I pray you through the Bible verse by verse. And so that's a five-minute podcast, and it happens every day of the year. So I'm a tired person. I've been praying every day. And then if your story is a sexual abuse story and you would like some help, you can go to we2.org slash 21 days. And I have a 21-day free email sequence that will walk you through all of those things that I've learned along the journey of healing um, to kind of help you work through your story. So that's we2.org slash 21 days. Awesome. Well, thank you for the resource. Thank you for your time and just um, sharing your incredible journey of what God's done in your life. I know that it's definitely a blessing to many. So we've enjoyed having you today. Um, thank you again. And we'll see you next time, everyone. Jesus truly is something better, the answer to our search for meaning and identity. He can bring real purpose and joy to your life. We'd love to help you get to know Him. So connect with us online at somethingbetter.us backslash podcast. And if you're ready to begin a relationship with Him today, just click the Learn More button. On our site, you'll also find previous episodes and you can share your feedback with us in a voice message. We release a new episode every two weeks, so be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Did you enjoy today's episode? Take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and tag us on Instagram at Find Something Better. We'd love your help in sharing this great content with others. Thanks for joining us today. See you next time.